Hashem, Hashem, Nasev, Nasliach, Shiur Torah. Good to be at the Breslov Center again in Aventura, Baruch Hashem. Little by little, the Shurim are getting out there, and Ishtabach Shemolad, we continue to see the uh, miracle of Hanukkah every day. Every week, more and more people doing tshuva. Every week, uh, more people want to convert, Baruch Hashem, to uh, Judaism. And uh, even people within Judaism that perhaps either are, uh, you know, went from conservative or they were reformed, little by little doing tshuva and coming to the truth of Orthodox Judaism, even in some cases, I have a whole group of people in Miami that all uh, converted to uh, conservative Judaism. And Bo uh, Hashem, after learning for a little over the last uh, year uh, together, year and a half maybe even together, Baruch uh, Hashem, the whole group is Baruch Hashem is going to be converting very soon because, you know, according to Halakha, a uh, conservative or reformed conversion is babkis. It's not considered a conversion, it's considered nothing. And the reason why is because even though the actual process of conversion is the same, you know, you ask them some questions, they go to the mikveh, uh, and so on, the process itself is the same. Uh, because the uh, Dayanim, the people that are actually judging, the people that are actually uh, handling the conversion itself, are not considered agun, meaning they're not considered fair people based on alakhad. They cannot be relied on, and therefore their conversion is no longer valid. So this is a uh, difficult world today to convert in because you have problems all over the world uh, regarding conversions. Certain parts of uh, South America you can't convert at all. Uh, in Israel, it's become nearly impossible to convert. Uh, in America, it's very, very lengthy. You know, in many places in America, it could take uh, years to convert. In different parts of Europe, I have one guy just finished his conversion, almost 11 years. What? 11 years to convert. So it's very, very difficult, very difficult. But sometimes somebody has the merit of having siat dishmai, and they do it very quickly, and they have uh, uh, extra merit. But again... This I see, I'm seeing now, a lot of it happened because we're running out of time. We're running out of time. Right now we are days into Hanukkah and uh, the miracles are getting bigger and bigger. But at the same token, we're seeing that we're going to need much bigger miracles soon. Why? Because you just had Imam, the United Nations say that Israel in so many words is an illegal country. Occupied territory. They call it an occupied territory, meaning it's not considered, they're not recognizing it as a valid country. Which means that on any given day, chas v'shalom, but in any given day, the war of Gog Magog can go full-blown. From one day to the next, it go full-blown. How? Because the war of Gog Magog, according to the prophets, is that the entire world gathers and goes against Israel. The entire world. Shem now, before this, uh, people would think, how could it, how can it happen? What? America hates this one. This one hates America. Everybody hates each other. They're not going to gather together and go against Israel. Plus, America is friends with Israel. Right? Until last week, everything was so, so fine. But then, uh, before he decides to leave, Osama, Obama decides to go against Israel in the best way that he can, by not voting, and uh, in, a, in a very, very critical vote. And all of a sudden, you have the entire world united together against Israel. Only thing that's missing is weapons. Right, which question? Uh, 
Trump posted after that on his Facebook that he's immediately going to change it to UN and he's going to like he's going to change the fact of what they did. Like I said, once Trump, once Trump, what Trump does now and what Trump will do after he's actually in the office are two different things. We will see what happens, but in reality, why am I mentioning this? Why am I mentioning this? Do you think I really care about Obama? Do you think I really care about United Nations? Do you think I care about Trump or any of them? No, Mapitom. All we care about is Hashem. What we're trying to do here is to remind ourselves that we cannot rely on anyone except Hashem. Now, we did a chidush, a short chidush, before, uh, earlier today, in case you didn't hear it, Bezat Hashem will repeat some parts of it and uh, add something to it. This week's parasha, parashat Miketz, and then we're going to go into Pirkei Avot, uh, number 16 I think it is now. We have uh, Mishnah Bet Dalit, 2-4. Uh, and uh, Parashat Miketz is the second half of the story of Yosef HaTzadik, after his brother sold him. According to the Chazal, they sold him four times. He exchanged hands four times. First to the Ishmaelim, and then to the merchants, then to the Midianites, eventually to Potiphar. Got sold four times. Four contracts had to be signed for selling Yosef. And then he sat and, you know, he helped Potiphar become very rich. And then, as it always happens, they forget the, uh, the good that the uh, Jew does, and they throw him in jail. Uh, they throw him in jail, and then uh, he sits in jail for the next 12 years. Last week, we had just the last part where he helped one of the, his cellmates translate his dream, and but the cellmate did not remember to return a favor. And when he got back to being the uh, top position with Paul, it says he forgot Joseph. Forgot the Jew that helped him. So this week continues. Suddenly after 12 years of being in jail, Parashat Miketz means the end. The end of the punishment. The end of the decree to Yosef HaTzadik. Chazal asks, what was Yosef HaTzadik? What did he do so wrong that he's getting punished for it? So he said, he spoke about his brothers. And he didn't speak about them the right way. Okay, he wanted to rebuke him, but he didn't rebuke him the right way. Okay, he wanted to say the right thing, but he didn't do it the right way. Hashem punished him for each one that he spoke about, one year. Ten years now. But on top of that, Benjamin wasn't part of the thing. On top of that, there's another two years. What's the other two years for? Two years because he relied on this Egyptian to maybe talk to Paul for him. He goes, for each word you said, that you're relying on this person to help you instead of me, Hashem itbarach, I'm putting another year in jail. Showing us that when Hashem says in the Torah, in Deuteronomy, Adam, cursed is the man who trusts in men. Cursed is the man that relies on men, relies on a president, relies on a boss, relies on a partner, relies on any person except Hashem. Cursed. So even to Yosef HaTzadik, Hashem fulfilled his degree. Where, where did he say that? Where Ahur is? Parashat Bechukotai, Parashat Kitavo. He says, Right, but then you're cursed. Hashem Rachem, someone is cursed. If they trust the men. It's also in Teilim, it's also in Pechukotai, it's in several different places. It's very, very dangerous to trust in a person and not uh, even yourself, by the way. 
even yourself as a person, like saying, oh, uh, you know, it's everything is in my own hands. It's like saying, is a bad thing. That's like saying I have a lot of pride. So now, right, so now, even Yosef was not excluded out of this, even though he was a Malach Hashem, even though he was a very, very holy person, and he's a person that Hashem signed off saying he's a tzaddik. So here we see that, number one, we already learned from Yosef a tzaddik, we can't rely on anybody. Then, as things eventually, the time ends, the Yeshua comes, Hashem brings salvation to Yosef Tzadik, and in a matter of moments, he goes from the bottom of the barrel, from the bottom of a hole in the ground, that's a jail, that we wouldn't survive five hours in. He's there for 12 years. There's no air conditioning, there's no bathrooms, nothing. No Shuret Torah either. Did he grow a bush in there? I don't know. Maybe it's possible. It's possible. I don't remember. I don't remember the uh, midrash. It's possible. It's possible. It's possible. They grew something in there, but overall, it was a very, very miserable place because your roommate is a criminal. Your other roommate's also a criminal. The roommate that the roommate has is also bigger criminals. Everybody's a bigger criminal. He just goes up the ladder of who's the biggest criminal. Murderers, rapists, pedophiles, all types of reshaim and reshaim are surrounding him. And this actually brings us to the point of why did Hashem, first of all, get Yosef at Siddiq out? Second, what was so special about Yosef at Siddiq? That Hashem called him Yosef HaTzadik. Not so special. I mean, plenty of other people out there picked him out of all people. Now you can say that the Gemara says that Yosef HaTzadik was called Yosef HaTzadik because he didn't waste seed. He didn't waste seed. When he had an opportunity to make a sin with Potiphar's wife, which according to the Gemara is one of the most beautiful women that ever lived and she was actually doing it lishma. she was trying to do a mitzvah she had a dream that good things are going to come out of Yosef and Sadiq she wanted to have his kids she was trying to do a mitzvah she said like I'll kill my husband I don't care I want to do a mitzvah for Hashem a lot of people say I want to do a mitzvah I'm going to rob this bank I'm going to donate the money mitzvah I'm going to Go kill this guy and marry his wife. Mitzvah. She's tzaddikah. We're married. Mitzvah. And mitzvah ba'al ba'avera. There's no such thing as a mitzvah coming through a sin. But again, okay, so you had an opportunity, according to the Gemara, he got really, really close to actually sinning, all the way to the point where he had to take his hands and smash them into the ground to cause himself pain to kill the erection. And according to uh, Chazal, there was a special miracle where the semen actually came out of his nails. Came out of his nails. But that is not the reason. That may be the reason why he's called Yusuf a tzaddik. But it's not the reason why Hashem took him out. He's still in jail. What forgave? Didn't happen yet. Why did he take him out? What is so special about him? Okay, but that's okay. That's why he's called a tzaddik. He's called anyone that doesn't waste seed. And Hashem, Hashem calls him a tzaddik. 
Someone keeps his breed, that's the, that's the reason why the tzaddik came. Someone that keeps his breed, it's called tzaddik in Shemaim. Forget wealthy. Talk about tzaddik by Hashem. Hashem calling you a tzaddik is much more important than you having money. Very righteous from all the groups that ah. he was He what? Didn't wait, didn't see his whole life. But as far as the biggest test that he has was was during Potiphar's wife. But again, okay, so that's why he's called Sadiq. Why did Hashem take him out to such an and, and give him such salvation that all of a sudden from one day he's in a jail? The same day, a few hours later, he speaks to Paul ten minutes, he makes him king. And he says in chapter forty one. Verse 44, Paro says to Yosef, I am Paro, and without you, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Paro says something to him that's mama scary. He's telling him, He says, I'm Paro. I'm Paro, I'm, I'm the man. I'm the guy that controls everything. Right now, I'm giving you everything. No one is even going to lift a finger or move his foot right or left without your permission. That's how much control you're going to have over Egypt. It's Egypt, not the world. He's not king of the world yet. He's telling them, honestly, you're going to be first in command because the only one that's really could say no is me, but I don't, I'm, I'm in retirement. Right, but he says, I'm here, I'm in retirement. I'm in retirement, you take over. Here's the keys. I'm going, to, I'm going to hang out, relaxing. You got the keys. No one's going to move a finger without you. A few hours ago, he was in jail. Listen, okay, so he liked the way he translated the dreams. Okay, so he likes the fact that according to Gemara Chazaku Baruch, he spoke one more language than him. Give the guy $100,000. Salah Shalom. Goodbye. $100,000, make sure you don't come back here. Don't steal my kinghood. Okay, he told him the strategy. I'll do it then. He told him the strategy. He told him, listen, you're going to have seven years of wealth, seven years of poverty, of famine. Okay, so I know. Okay, he told me this. Fine, I'll listen to him. Here's $100,000. You know what? $500,000. Said them. You just came out of jail. If I give you $5, you're already happy. You had a jail, you're already happy. I'm telling you, I'm giving you $500,000. Goodbye. Salah Shalom. Making the guy king. Making the guy king. Why did he go in jail in the first place? What did he do wrong? They blamed him for Potiphar's wife. Doesn't matter. They blamed him for Potiphar's wife. He already had a losing battle. He's a Jew. He's, a, he's got a losing battle. When you're a Jew, you're in a losing battle already. Why? Because the world hates you. It's Alacha Esav Sonet Yaakov. It's Alacha Esav Sonet Yaakov. It's not. It's not something that is, you know. Sometimes it's actual Alacha means it's from Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai. Hashem said that I created Esav. And all of his descendants with a hate for Yaakov. That's it. Once in a while you're going to have a few Esavs that are offshoot, that they're trying, they see the truth, they leave it, they join Am Yisrael, they're good going, but in general as a whole, as Klal, Esav Sonet Yaakov. Who's Esav today? Christians. Who's Ishmael? The Arabs. So now he's in a situation... Yes, I'm Esav. Yes, I'm Ishmael. They all hate him. He's already losing battle. So the question here is, why was Hashem so impressed with Yosef, not only to take him out, but to make him king, 
exonerate his past because now he made him king. Chazal says the people came to Paro and said, "Wait a minute, you're gonna make this guy king that his brother sold him for twenty dollars." They sold them for something that's equivalent for shoes. In those days, they still sold shoes for $20. Not like today, every shoe is $300. Back then, in my generation even, shoes were 20 bucks. If you bought, I remember the first time I bought a $100 shoe, my parents almost had a heart attack. I saved all my money. I was like a little kid. I saved my money. I used to deliver newspapers. And I wanted to buy sneakers. I wanted to buy sneakers. So I went and I bought this $100 sneakers. This is a long time ago. You know, all these stories may be beneficial for you, but it kind of reminds me how old I am. But anyway, I bought these shoes. I bought these shoes, these cool sneakers. I thought they were cool. $100. When I came home, my parents said, where did you get these sneakers? Show them the sneakers. They saw the price tag, $100. They almost had a heart attack. $100 on sneakers? Why did people spend 1000 People are crazy. So, so I'm telling you that when I got sneakers for $100, my parents almost had a heart attack. Here in Egypt, they're saying to Pao, this guy was just sold for $20 for a pair of sneakers. Cheap ones, not like the ones Jeroen bought. Cheaper ones, the ones from Kmart. He bought those, 20 bucks. And you're going to make him king over us? My shtagata, you went crazy. No, come on. No, Pao, Pao, but come on. He sees, no, I sense kinghood in him. I sense that he comes from a family of kings. So now, they had to prove all this. The languages, like you said, was one thing. You had to learn all the languages in an instant, in one night. Malach Gabriel came to him in a, uh, at night, taught him all the languages. But initially, Chazal says he didn't get it. He couldn't learn. Couldn't learn. Listen, 70 languages, learn one language in an hour. Learn one language. 70 languages, not easy. What happened? Hashem says, I'm impressed with this young man. I'm going to add a letter. A letter, hey. Letter, add a letter, hey, to his name. Now, all of a sudden, he knows 71 languages. He knows more languages than Paul. Amazing. One language more. One language more. This hey. This hey. Made everything possible. What's this Shem so impressed with? We're still not answering the question. Okay, so you got the language. We're just adding more and more of what he's getting. On top of all this, now he knows the languages. They say, listen, but he's still charged with rape. He's still charged with Eshet Ish. No, no, no. Innocent. It never happened. He's innocent. They prove his innocence. Meaning, his name is clean. No one can ever say, this guy's a rasha. This guy's a rapist. This guy is a thief. This guy's nothing. No, this guy's Sadiq. Not only that, what's to what's to prove that they exonerated him of his of his crime? Who did he marry? Potiphar's daughter. He married Potiphar's daughter. It wasn't his real daughter. Because then you're gonna ask, wait a minute, he's supposed to marry a you know Israelite supposed to marry Israelite. Potiphar's daughter was actually a uh, adopted daughter. She was the daughter that came out of the rape. That the Reshaim, Chamol, raped Dina, the daughter of Yaakov. He raped her, but she was so embarrassed, every time she see her daughter, 
She's embarrassed because you remind her of the rape. Of this Rasha that, uh, that raped her. So Yaakov said to her, listen, go give her up for adoption. But to make sure that she knows who she is, I'll give her a medallion. Yaakov made her a special medallion where on it he says, you are the descendant of Yaakov. You're the daughter, you're the name, ta-ta-ta. So now, when Yosef is out there and everyone knows he's now become viceroy, women want to jump at him and he's not even looking at them and all of a sudden somebody hits him with a medallion. Looks at the medallion and he sees Hebrew. Now the Egyptians don't know Hebrew. Yosef is the only one that knows how to read this. He goes, who threw this? Who threw this? You know, a little tzaddikai in the corner says, that's who he marries. But she, yeah, but she knew, he knows, but the Potiphar and everybody else doesn't know. But the key here is now, how is Potiphar going to make it? Potiphar still raised her, so she's still technically his daughter. He's not going to give her to him if he thinks he's a rasha. So we see here, Yosef is exonerated of all the Lashonara they said about him for 12 years. Nothing. He's clean. He's clean. It's a big deal, guys. What did he do to deserve this wonderful situation? Oh, give me some guesses. Schutavod, he would have never gone into jail. Okay, you're in the right direction, but it's not it. Okay, that's the outcome. It's the outcome. No, more, almost. Something happened in jail, though. I don't know about. Something happened. Yes. You didn't complain to God. You said like, uh, you "Okay, said them. Okay, you're in the right direction, but it's not it. It's not it." Something to do with other two people? No, it's it's with uh, it's with him. It's with him. Okay, but that's he called the Sadiq for that already. He already got the. Uh, Okay. In Sefer Mishle, Proverbs chapter 16, it gives us the secret both to this question and both to this Mishnah we're going to learn today, Bezat Hashem. Chapter 16, verse 7. When Hashem favors a man's ways, even his foes will make peace with him. When someone does Ritzon Hashem, Hashem says, not only am I going to show you that I'm happy by giving you reward in the next world, reward in this world, but I'll show you how I run the world to such an extent that even your enemies will come say, I'm sorry. Not that they're going to want to make peace with you. Hey, listen, you know, we shouldn't fight. Your weapons are bigger, really. I don't really want to fight with you. No, no, no. They come to you and say, listen, we're bigger, we're stronger, and we're sorry. Huh? We're bigger, we're stronger than you, but we're sorry. Don't beat us up. How about that? Sounds good. That's what Hashem says here. What was Hashem so impressed with? Yosef? Yosef? left his father's home when he was only 17 years old. 
22 years he's surrounded by criminals, thieves, rapists, all the Rishayim Erushayim of the world. And we learn that after all these years, he still says, he still stays Yosef at Tzaddik. To such an extent that Hashem adds a letter to his name because he says, according to the Rambam, a, a, a man's natural inclination is to do what his environment tells him to do. He has friends that are Rashaim, he's going to become a Rasha. He has friends that are Christian, he'll become a Christian. He has friends that are Jews, he'll become a Jew. Whatever your surroundings are is what you're going to become. You are who your friends are is an old American statement, but in essence it comes from the Torah. It comes from the Rambam. Hashem is so impressed with him. He says, listen, I put him in a hole surrounded by the worst people on earth for 22 years. He didn't even change an iota. Stay tzaddik. And I didn't put him next to a guy that's just like off the derech. A couple of people that come late to uh, Sheol. And a guy that's not even sure if he believes in God 100%. No! He put him next to Kofrim, next to Kmarim, next to, he put him next to the Pope. The worst of the worst. Yosef, alone with Hashem. What made, what made Avram Avinu Avram Avinu? When Nimrod told him idol worship, go worship my idol or I'll kill you. Avram jumped into the fire. He didn't even argue. He jumped into the fire. No argument. No way I'm going to... It's not even a thought of mine. Not even a thought of mine to go worship an idol. He jumped into the fire. The angels screamed to Hashem, Hashem, Avram is jumping. Let us go save him. And Midrash says, Hashem says, No. Just like he is alone. In that world being the only one that believes in me. And I am alone. Here... I'm going to go save him myself. And Hashem himself took out Avraham and protected him in the fire. Even the people that threw Avraham Avinu into the, into the fire, they went, they went on fire. The ones that threw him into the fire, they burned and died. But he was in the fire dancing. All the way to the point where Nimrod said, okay, it's Busha already, All right, get him out. No, it's enough already. He's making a joke out of us. He's dancing in the fire. I heard his son kill Esav killed Nimrod, Chazak So now you have yourself, what is he so impressed with? He's impressed with that he didn't fall for his surroundings. Avraham didn't fall for his surroundings, but Hashem still said, Lech Lecha. Hashem said, listen, you still gotta go. I know you, all these years, you didn't get influenced by your surroundings, but listen, no one is ever allowed to trust themselves. Lech Lecha, leave everything. Go, go, let's be religious somewhere else. Yosef, okay, you kept on going, you're good, you're tzaddik, 22 years, tzaddik, everything is great, chazaku baruch, but it's time to go. It's time to put you in a top position where you could pray, you could do, you could do everything, it's enough. The test is over. Lasting, one more day is too much. But I'm so impressed with you because you held your own, despite all your friends being losers. So now we see that despite all of the things that are going on in the world today, Hashem can change nature many, many times, however, however much He wants, however way He wants. 
if we do the will of Hashem, Hashem already told Shlomo Melech to tell us that Hashem could change nature to such an extent that even our enemies can come and ask us for forgiveness. But this is not something that we can rely on. Meaning, us ourselves, what we do as individuals, is Hashem. Hashem has mercy on us. We still have responsibility for our surroundings. If our surroundings are people that are not doing tshuva, people that are not keeping, when if there's chashva shalom, a decree on the nation, tzadikim and hashayim also get punished. Everybody gets punished. This also reminds us of the obligation we have to fulfill the mitzvah. Now each one of you has an opportunity to fulfill that mitzvah this week. In a way that's unusual. That's only available now. It will not be available next week. It will not be available next month. It will not be available in six months from now. It will only be available this week. With all the miracles that we have in Hanukkah, we're reminded constantly that the Jewish people have had many, many miracles throughout the generations. Back in the 1700s, George Washington was leading an army to make America an independent, and they went to war. And at some point, I believe this is 1777, is when this event took place. It's a real story. You could uh, look at it, and uh, it was written by uh, Aaron Levy, I believe in Aish. Aish.com. Uh, I saw the Hebrew version, I'm not sure where the English version is, but nonetheless, it's a true story. It's in several other places, also Rav Amnon has it on his website, and several other places have this, it's a true story. At some point, George Washington felt like he was losing the battle. And uh, he went from camp to camp trying to figure out what he's going to do. It was at night. And all of a sudden, he sees one of the camp has a light on. And he goes inside. And he asks the guy, what is that? And the guy says, oh, it's a Chanukiah. It's a Chanukiah. He goes, what's a Chanukiah? He says, oh, I'm a Jew. I'm a Jew. And uh, Hashem made miracles for us. I goes, oh, you're one of the chosen people. I goes, yeah. This is why I fulfill this mitzvah. Because, okay, so you are the nation of the chosen. You are the nation of the prophets. So why don't you tell me, what do you think of this war? Are we going to win this war? And the Jew says to him, you know, the reason why my nation survived all these years is because we had confidence in Hashem. And having connection to Hashem gave us confidence that anything is possible. It didn't matter that they were bigger, they were stronger, they were smarter, they were this, they were that. It didn't make a difference. When we had Hashem on our side, we knew everything is going to be okay. And that's why in the Chag, in the Chag of, of uh, Hanukkah, if you actually read the Gemara about it, Masechet Gitin, and I believe in a few other places, the Midrashim, the war between Matityahu and the Yevanim, the Greeks, the Reshaim Greeks, 
It doesn't seem logical. It seems like a mamash, 100% suicide. The Gemara says, the Greeks had 600, and 600 million soldiers. Not 600 million people as a population, which would be almost double America. 600 million soldiers. Soldiers. China is considered a huge country and also a huge army. But they can dispose, you know, throw out a million soldiers at any given day. A million soldiers, already considered mega power. Greece had 600 million. Matatiao had a few sons. And a couple of other Sadiqim and said, okay, let's join them. According to the math I did, maybe 10 people. Not joking. 10 people. And let's just say, yeah, you know, that's some other people they didn't write about. Let's just say they had a thousand. Kafshut. Thousand? Six hundred million. If the six hundred million don't come with weapons, they don't come with weapons. They just spit. They drown the ten. They drown the thousand. They just spit. In their direction, they all drown from saliva. But what do you have? Matityahu and his sons win the war. So this Jew tells a story to George Washington. And George Washington says, you think you're going to win? He says, I think we're going to win. I know we're going to win. And this gave George Washington a lot of chizuk. He got his strength back. He got his motivation back. He motivated all the soldiers that turned around the battles and eventually they won the war. Years later, the Jew went back to his life. One day in the middle of the night, somebody knocks on his door. They open the door. President George Washington is here to see you. President's coming to see me. He comes to him and he gives him a medallion. He says, ah, that's the Hanukkah. He came at the same time, came at Hanukkah. That's the Hanukkah, so I remember. We won the war because of this Hanukkah. And he gives him a present and he gives him a medallion. On the back of the medallion is a Hanukkah. And the other part is the uh, name and so on. Now how many times have any of you guys heard this story in school? Zero. 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 Foundation of this country we live in. There's a Jew behind it. There's also a Jew of several other Jews behind it that lend money to the country. I've said it in other shiurim. But nobody talks about this. Why doesn't anybody talk about this? No. Not politically correct. Different reason. The answer is at the beginning of the book of Exodus. The beginning of the book of Exodus which we'll read in a few weeks, B'zot Hashem. It says, A new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And this new king says, Behold, the people... The children of Israel are more numerous and stronger than we. Come, let us outsmart it, lest it become numerous. And it may be that if a war will occur, too, it too may join our enemies. 
So first it says, Paro forgot who Joseph is. How'd you forget? Why, a memory lapse? How'd you forget? Let's think about this. When Joseph came there, you were like, you know, Manhattan. By the time this guy became king, by the time the slavery started, it became the United States. You started as a neighborhood, now all of a sudden you're a world power controlling the entire world. Every country in the world is paying taxes to Egypt. Thanks to who? Yosef HaTzadik. Not only that, after he dies, all of the Egyptians turn him into a god. They don't want to let his, his uh, body leave the country. They hide it in a tomb, put it in the Nile River. And they pray to the Nile River, they're praying to him. They turn him into a god. How'd you forget? What? The millions of Egyptians praying to him every single day. Like he's a god. What, they didn't tell you? You weren't one of them last week? What, the money that you have, the billions and billions of dollars you're getting in, in income every single day from all the countries in the world. You forgot? You forgot whose face is on the dollar bill? His face is on the, on the Egyptian bill. How'd you forget? Ah, it says... Even if it's a new king, some say it's the same king. It doesn't make a difference. His face is on the money. It says it's convenience. We became powerful. We don't need you anymore. You served your purpose. We don't need you anymore. You helped us get America. You financed the war, which is another Jew that financed the war, by the way. Another Jew financed the war. A Jew helped the war. Many Jews fought in the war. All these wonderful things, but no, we're going to vote against you at the United Nations. Let's fool them. Fool them into thinking we're friends. So my dear friends, we have freedom in America, but it's only temporary. Our real freedom is dependent on what we do in order to satisfy our Father in Heaven. Now what's the mitzvah that all of you can do? The mitzvah that all of you can do is remind your friends and family of a little bit of history of what's about to happen in a few days from now. In a few days, is going to be the end of the secular year, end of 2016. And unfortunately, most Jews in the world include themselves in this day to celebrate it, get drunk, go to Times Square, go to clubs, go on vacation, Celebrate it, have lechaim, stay up till midnight, kiss a stranger, all these stupid things that people do. And what I used to do also along with the rest of the stupid people before I actually learned what it actually means. So nobody thinks that I'm smarter. I was also one of the stupid people at one point. Why? Because I didn't know. But then I found out I want to vomit. And for the last few years I've been trying to encourage as many people as possible to stop it. But Baruch Hashem, with Siyat Dishmaya, we're getting more and more fans out there in the world that are watching the Shuim. So Bezat Hashem, more people will actually take the initiative to deliver the message. If you look at the history books, you'll see that the Christian calendar actually changed multiple times in the last 2,000 years. At some point, January became, January 1st became the beginning of the year. But at other points, it was March. 
At other points, it was different months. It kept changing. The Gregorian calendar that we have right now, that we still use, is only about 460 years old, 470 years old. Before that, New Year's was in March, not January. But how do we get to a point of celebrating this New Year, Bichlal? About 2,000 years ago, the power in the world was very different than today. The power in the world was not held by presidents, but rather by the Pope. The Pope was the most powerful. Pope had a lot more power. Not like today where he's a buba. Back then, they had the power. They would tell kings what to do. Today, the guy just buys new buildings and makes stupid comments that people make fun of. And just goes on some street and says like this, no one has an idea what's going on. But millions of people come there. Back then, the guy actually had some power. And there was a Pope by the name of Sylvester. Now, if this sounds familiar to you, that's because New Year's is not called New Year's in most places in the world. In most places in the world, including Israel, New Year's Eve is actually called Sylvester. It's named after this guy, Sylvester. Why is it named after him? Because about 2,000 years ago, he came to the most powerful country in the world, which were the Romans. And he came to the Roman Caesar by the name of Constantinos. And he told him, listen, Constantinos, I'm the Pope, you're the Caesar, we worship this J.C. Penny guy. We have holidays we create, every other day we create a new holiday. Money is great, people keep donating to us, you don't even have to work. You don't have to do anything, actually. I have more girlfriends than anybody else, even though I tell everybody I'm a virgin. You, pagan, you worship idols, it's also the same thing. But nobody donates any money to you. You have to steal it. You have to rob it. You have to kill. Let me make your job a little easier. Become a Christian. Join us. And we'll be the most powerful people in the world. Constantinos liked the deal. And they signed a deal. And, and the entire nation of Rome became the foundation of Christianity. Now one part of that deal was to eliminate the number one enemy of Christianity, a.k.a. Judaism, a.k.a. Torah. And this is when these Rishayim Erushayim went and started accusing Am Yisrael of all types of blood libels. If you look at history, type in blood libels. Blood libels on Google. All the people that come up is Jews. What's a blood libel? They're accusing the Jews of kidnapping the Christian kids and then eating them because we want their blood, to drink their blood. There were many, many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and even thousands of accusations, but hundreds of court cases where they would take Jews to court and tell them, yeah, you kidnapped this kid that we can't find. You kidnapped this man that we can't find because you put his blood in your matzah on Pesach. If these fools actually ever read the Torah that they say they believe in, because they believe in the Old Testament, they say. If they actually ever read the Torah that they say they believe in, they see that we're not allowed to have blood even in our food. Unlike them where they eat anything that moves, we're not allowed to eat anything that moves. 
even if it's in the egg, even if it's in the egg, there's a little bit of a, a spot of, of blood in the egg, you have to throw out the egg. You cannot remove the blood because we don't have the skill set unless it's in the white. If it's in the white, you can remove it. If it's in the yellow, you cannot remove it. You can if you have the skill set, but 99.999% of people do not have the skill set to do it. Exactly, no. So if it's in the yellow, it's automatic throw out in the garbage. If it's in the white and you know how to do it, then you do it. But in general, rule of thumb is, I can tell you my wife, my wife, Baruch Hashem, is a very, very good cook and she is a machmira in regards to kashrut. She sees blood, runs away. The other day, actually, as a matter of fact, Baruch Hashem, just the other day, she told me almost a dozen eggs in a row where had blood in them. Organic eggs. Almost a dozen, almost a dozen eggs in a row. She had, like, she bought a dozen eggs, I think it was like 10 of them had blood in them. Throw them out. Yeah, don't, don't even bother with it. Don't even bother with the organic eggs. It's just a waste of money. But as Jews, even if there's blood in the egg, we're not allowed to eat it. Goyim, they eat it with the blood, whatever. They're allowed, whatever, they're allowed. As long as the, the animal is not alive. According to the seven Noahide laws, they're allowed to eat it, as long as it's not alive. This is the reason, by the way, why, why sea fish, uh, um, shellfish, shellfish in general is not kosher even for, for goyim. And the reason why shellfish is not kosher even for goyim, and it violates the seven Noahide laws, is because you cook shellfish alive. Which is a very, very vicious, disgusting thing. You put the shellfish in the thing, and they scream, Shem Rachem. And all, yeah, yeah, they scream. And uh, also, aside from that, even if you look at like factories that make shellfish, there's videos online. You can see them. They rip them apart alive, and the little pieces keep walking for three days. They're walking in a factory. It's a much a vicious thing. Even if you, it's awful, 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 awful process. It violates the uh, seven laws of Noah. It's much vicious. So the point is that our nation has a Torah. Our Torah tells us. We are not allowed to eat blood. These people are telling us we're taking people's blood. Not just animals' blood, people's blood. Which is the stupidest thing in the world. Showing us this is all nonsense. It's complete nonsense, all of this. Exactly. So now, this Rasham Yerushak uh, Constantinos and his friend Sylvester have a bunch of blood libels. They accuse a bunch of Jews of killing Goim. They start going from place to place, from city to city... Just to find Jews. To find Jews, put them all in a synagogue, and burn the, place, burn the place with the people in it. Tens of thousands of Jews. When is this all happening? New Year's. New Year's, New Year's when it's happening. New Year's and Christmas. Xmas. There's a time where, that's when we kill Jews. His birthday, by the way, was the 31st of December. So now, that's why they celebrate it. So this anti-Semite, Rasha Merusha, that killed hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Jews throughout the years himself. And then millions more were killed because of him, because of his holiday that he created for the last 2,000 years. Millions and millions of Jews have been dying because of this guy. And we, ignorant, are going to go celebrate his birthday in a few days. Even if you hate religion, even if you don't believe in God, even if you're, I don't know what you are, if you're a Jew, your mom's a Jew, you're connected to a Jew, even if you're a Christian, and you're obviously not a Shamirusha like them, you'll never in your right mind celebrate this day. If anything, you go to sleep early just to make sure it's over.
this, this horrific embarrassment to mankind. So now each one of you has a responsibility to tell this to your friends because most of your friends do not know what this means. They don't know why it's called Sylvester. Sylvester sounds like a nice name. It even sounds like a cartoon. The cartoon, uh, they, or Sylvester Stallone, or Sylvester the Cat. It's before your time probably. You know, different, it's a cartoon. No, they don't know it's like a Shamirusha anti-Semite. In essence, it's like going and celebrating the yard site of Hitler. Yard site of Hitler, even worse, because he probably killed more people than Hitler. Oh, Lechaim, Lechaim, what Lechaim? You're lucky you're even alive because this guy was alive, he'd kill you first. Ken? So that's what people need to understand. You have to tell people as soon as possible to wake up and realize we cannot celebrate this holiday. This holiday is definitely not for Jews. It's also not for Christians. It's also not for any Muslims. It's not for anybody that loves Hashem. It's not anybody for anybody that believes in the Torah. It's not even for anybody that believes in mankind. It's a wicked, wicked holiday. And people that say, listen, I'm not celebrating him killing people. I'm celebrating just going out, hanging out with my friends. Okay, so go out on the 1st. Go out on the 29th. Go out any other day. Why do you have to go out that day? Why do you have to celebrate that day? Yes, it's not your fault that that day happens to be the day that they killed a bunch of people. But you don't have to go out that day. You go to a restaurant any other day. It's probably cheaper. So that's the, what people don't understand. So moving on, we have a Mishnah here that could change your life, is let the Shem and mine too, if we actually start listening to it. This is still Rabban Gamliel from the previous Mishnayot. He was accustomed to say, treat his will as if it were your will, so that he will treat your will as if it were his will. Nullify your will in the, in the face of his will, so that he will nullify the will of others in the face of your will. Very interesting breakdown, very interesting statement which we're going to break down. Be'ezat Hashem. So Aban Gamliel is telling us some serious, serious advice. If you want to have a chance to survive the end of days, you want to have a chance to, to survive the pogroms, you want to have a chance to survive the Rashaim Rushaim that surround us on a day-to-day basis. You want to have a chance of having Hashem turning your enemies into such a point where they come and apologize to you. You have to start with this. First, treat Hashem's will, His will, as if it were your will. And He will treat your will as if it was His will. Meaning, first and foremost, make sure that the mitzvot that you're doing 
do it some cheshek. Do it like you actually want to do it. Do it where it's a lot of joy and happiness. Don't be one of these people like, ah, I got to pray now. Oh, Shabbat, so early this week. Oh, it's so late, it comes out. Oh, it's still Pesach. I can't stand this matzah. Don't be one of those people. Make sure that just to get started, just to get started, you have some cheshek. You wake up in the morning, you got to pray, get excited for it. Shabbat's coming in a few days, get excited for it. Shabbat's coming in a few hours, get excited for it. Chagim, it's extra long this year. It's four-day weekend. Yes. Baruch Hashem. Great. Don't be one of these people who calls me, oh, Kodarav, do I really have to keep all four days? Do I have to do second day? By the way, even if you go to Israel, even if you go to Israel, you still have to keep two days. I have friends here who, who they live here for like years, and they say they don't care, they only keep one day. Ken, they're violating it a lot. They're violating the Divrei Chazal, and they have serious, serious problems, unfortunately. Bring them to the shield. I think now we actually have a bad situation, because 300 years ago, when we had the Christians hate us, now we have a billion Muslims who want to kill us and the Christians. So we like... Hashem is making us... Hashem is putting us in a situation where we know... We know that the only way the only way for us to survive is with him, but unfortunately, not all of us have gotten there yet. So now people can say to me and say, Listen, I'm doing what Hashem Hashem's will is on my own, my own way. My own way I'm doing it. So how do we know if what we're doing is not enough? How do I know? I think I'm keeping Shabbat the right way. I think I'm keeping mitzvot the right way. I think some people say, like these group of unfortunate heretics I've been talking to over the last few days, they think that what they're doing, even though it's complete heresy, it's complete kfirah, they think they're doing the right way. What they think, until the last couple of thousand years, you know, we've had many, many different types of Christians in the world. But in the recent past, even they themselves have mutated into more. There's over 43,000 sects in Christianity. It's a good shiur by Rabbi uh, Zitron, Yeshua Zitron, my dear friend. 30 minutes shiur talks about Christianity, all the falsehoods behind it, why it's idol worship, and so on. So anyway... There's a little. There's a different types of Christianity. There's the uh, Protestants and this one and that one. There's plenty of them. But then there was ones that I've mentioned to you guys in uh, Shiul before, which were called the Messianics. Messianics. They call themselves Messianic Jews. Why do you call them rabbis? They call themselves Messianic Jews, so they call themselves rabbis. So they believe that they believe in Judaism, but they have J.C. Penney as their uh, Mashiach. Sort of like the uh, Chabadniks that believe that their Rebbe is the Mashiach. Only difference is the Chabadniks actually keep Shabbat, whereas the Messianics keep nothing. Some of them keep, but they don't really know how to keep. But nonetheless, they call themselves Messianic Jews, but it's 100% Christianity. 
But now I recently learned that there's another new twisted form of Christianity that calls themselves Jews. But what is it? They believe, they don't believe that Jesus is a God. They don't believe that he's even a Mashiach. So this is new. We thought, okay, God obviously is not. Mashiach, he's obviously not, but many of them think he is. But no, it's something new. What do they believe? They believe he was just a tzaddik. Avraham Avinu, J.C. Penny, Le'avdi, Million of Dalot. Moshe Rabbeinu, J.C. Penny. Rabbi Akiva, J.C. Penny. Le'avdi. They just think he was a tzaddik, like un... Yeah, it was just a big tzaddik, big rabbi. And what do they say? What's the, what do they call the New Testament, the false, or falsianity? They call it Midrash. They learned some uh, Hebrew words. They call it the Midrash. Like it's their background story. So you see, this is so confusing now. To Jews that don't know anything, they hear Midrash, they hear Rabbi. Let's go. Yitzhak Shapiro is in Messianic. He's in a different level of Ganom. This one, unfortunately... And he came from a religious house. I don't know what kind of religious house he came from, but... He thinks he's religious now. Point is, is that we have a lot of confusion in the world. And even you're going to hear some stories of Shem Yerachem. Shem Yerachem, you're going to hear some stories that some Orthodox rabbis, about a year ago, a little less than a year ago, signed a deal to make peace with the Christians, but the Christians are taking it to a completely different level, saying that these Orthodox rabbis, in essence, also accepted Jesus. Complete foolishness, complete kfirah. The Orthodox rabbis were not allowed to make that deal. You're never allowed to make deals with idol worship. But nonetheless, yeah, they, they unfortunately they kuflim. But unfortunately, you have a lot of it. You have so much of it, it makes everyone confused. Where unless you have a much dvikut be'ashem, glued to Hashem, it's hard to survive. So now these people think that the New Testament is full of errors and stupidity is Midrash. They think it's commentary. They think uh, this guy is a rabbi. This, it's, come on, it's going to drive people crazy. So how do I know? How do I know? Tachles, Hashem's happy with what I'm doing. How do I know? Okay, he does this, he does this, he wears a string, he wears a keeper. He wears a stramel, he wears this, he wears that. Everybody wears something else, but nobody does anything. How do I know that what I'm doing is the right thing? This Mishnah gave us exactly the answer. Hashem is telling you, you make my will into your will. Meaning, you do my mitzvot like I said, not like you said. Like I said. I said, keep Shabbat, you keep Shabbat. I said, keep Shabbat without driving, you keep Shabbat without driving. I said, keep Shabbat without the telephone, you keep Shabbat without telephone. Oh yeah, but it's not really electricity, kvod arab. Rabbi said, no, it's no. You don't make your own rules. I say, no showers on Shabbat, no showers on Shabbat. Yeah, but it's cold water. No showers. Unless you have to because some major thing happened, it's cold shower. But hot water is never allowed. I say you can't talk about business on Shabbat because that's Chilul Shabbat of itself. No business on Shabbat. Yeah, but you know, I'm only going to see this guy in a bit Knesset. No, it's Chilul Shabbat. I say kosher inside of the house and outside the house. Yeah, but I'm eating salad. No. Meaning Hashem says, if you do my mitzvot, not only like I said them and like my Rabbanim, my sons, explain them to you. Not only are you going to do them like that, but you're going to do everything that we say like 
Hashem actually said it and be happy about it. And how are you going to know that I'm happy with you? What? You see your life change before you. All of a sudden, the problems are not so much problems anymore. All of a sudden, the panasa problem is not really a panasa problem anymore. Not to say that you become rich, not to say that you don't have problems. Because there's many tzaddikim that have had problems, including Yaakov Avinu. But all of a sudden, you become glued to Hashem to such an extent that you know how to deal with all of this. You connect to Hashem on such a deep level that you know that everything that is happening is actually for your own benefit. Just like Rabbi Akiva said in Gemara, Masechet Brachot, I, I believe it's page 60b. Everything that the merciful one does is always the best. Not just good, the best. So now, King David, a lot of people like to read his Psalms. Anyone that understands Psalms will know that you could cry in every, every Psalm. Every Tehilim, you can cry the difficulties, the trials and tribulations that David Melech went through. But a lot of people read him for Zgulot, they read him for Refuash Lema, they read him before they study, they read him for Tikkun Abrit, they read him for a lot of different reasons. But David Melech says, listen, before I use my Tehilim for anything, for Tikkun Abrit, for marriage, for Parnassah, for Amaya, for whatever you want, First, read the first two verses of Tehillim, number one. Number one. Before you go to two and three and four and five and six, just understand, understand what it says in the first two verses. Ashrei ha'ish, asher lo alach be'etzat reshaim, bederech ha'taim lo amad, u'bimoshav le'tzim lo yashav. First verse. Praiseworthy is the man who walked not in the counsel of the reshaim, of the wicked, and stood not in the path of the sinful, and sat not in the session of scorners. First and foremost, you want these gulot to work. You want these blessings to work. You want to even read my Tehilim, and it be actually meaningful. First verse says, your friends are losers. Your friends are Rashaim. Your friends are all these people. You're commanded to bring them closer, but not to get closer to them. Meaning you bring them to the Shiur Torah. You don't go to the house. You invite them to your Shabbat. You don't go to their Chilul Shabbat and say, no, no, I'm going to help them do Shabbat. First and foremost, distance yourself. Like the Rambam said, if you're surrounded by neighbors that are Reshaim, you're not allowed to go outside. You have to find some places else to live. If you can't find a place else to live, move to the desert. And your new neighbors will be the scorpion and the snake. Rambam says it. Why? Because what he said earlier today, we said the Allah is, a man is inclined to do what his friends are going to do, his neighbors are going to do. So first and foremost, says you have Rishayim, that's your neighbors, that's your friends, that's who you, the tequila, you go there, everybody's in Shabbat, the Chazan is married to a, uh, to a Goya, the Rabbi makes all the non-kosher into kosher all of a sudden, like he's a Kohen Gadol. All these wicked things are happening, you have to leave, my friend. First and foremost, you want this tailing to even work. 
Distance yourself from the wicked. Distance yourself from all the sinful people. Distance yourself from all the scorners. What does it mean, scorners? Scorners are all the people. They see, they make fun. They think, nah, come on, Hashem is not really serious. Nah, come on, let's go to the casino. Come on, let's go. Why are you not allowed to go gamble? One of the reasons you're not allowed to gamble is because it's considered Moshav Letim. It's a place of clowns. place of jokesters. People make fun of the Torah, laugh around, they don't care about nothing. Hashem created the world? Yeah, He created the world, but now I'm here. That's their attitude. So it's Moshav Letim. Not allowed to be around with those people. Not allowed to go to a casino. Not allowed to go gamble with your friends. Moshav Letim. So first and foremost, first verse says to you, before you read Tehilim 150 and you finish Tehilim for the 80th time, are your friends losers that are against Hashem? If they are, don't even bother. First fix that. Second, Ki im betorat Adonai chefzo, u'betorato yhegeh yumam v'layla. But his desire is in the Torah of Hashem and his Torah, he meditates day and night. Now it doesn't say your Torah, it says his Torah. Meaning, if he's searching and searching and looking for new chidushim and new things to understand, new commentary, new halachot, new things that he's, he's going to discover in the Torah, then you have a fulfilling this where you're doing the will of Hashem. If you're looking for the truth constantly, the truth of Hashem, it says Hashem's Torah, not your Torah. If you're looking for what Hashem said, not what you want to understand. What Hashem, not, not if you're just looking for something, you're going to find it. Like for example, somebody that's looking for Jesus in the Torah, even though there's not one word in the Torah that even references Jesus. The Torah doesn't talk about idols. doesn't talk about stupidity like that. The only thing that talks about Jesus is that, I told you, the Torah codes says that he was an idol. He's in Gehenom. The Gemara mentions him in several places. Masechet Sanedrim, Masechet Gitim, Masechet Sota. I think also Masechet Shabbat. All of them talk about Jesus and his punishment and how he's in Gehenom forever. He was a kofer, he was a mamzer. His mom, his mom, his mom went with, uh, she was married to somebody and she went with somebody else. Only bad things it says about him. But if somebody is looking for him in a light, in a way that's favorable, in the Torah, they're going to make up whatever they want. But that's exactly what David Melch is telling you. That means you're making the Torah into yours. It's not your Torah. It's Hashem's Torah. If you look at the Torah like Hashem wrote it, like His sages interpreted it for you, then my friend, you're doing Hashem's will, then you will see that He will turn your will into His will. Then all of a sudden, even the problems that you have in your life, suddenly are not such a big deal. Flat tire, not a big deal. Don't have money to pay the rent, not a big deal. Whatever is happening is not a big deal. And this is one of the things that is very, very hard for people to get their head across because they always have safek in their amunah. Now, what does Hashem think about people people that take his Torah and they start making up their own commentary they turn it into Christianity they do all types of things that Hashem hates 
And this is one thing that I told all these Christian people and the uh, thing that we had. And also I tell everybody now, you have to ask yourself something. If you believe in something, whether it's Christianity or it's Islam or it's... Buddhist is just foolishness completely. But anything that's dependent on monotheism or even if you're a Jew... That's believes your rabbi is the Mashiach, or that you have to go to some grave every year, even though your wife doesn't want you to. There's plenty of people telling you you're going the wrong way. Instead of learning Gemara, you're learning one book. Now listen, that book may be a good book, but it's not the foundation of Torah. Even if that book is Tanya, even if that book is Yalkut Yosef, even if that book is a, uh, or series, even if it's that book is a, one thing. The Torah is vast, it's huge. It doesn't end with one book. Now the Avdim, some people, go to a wrong religion. They go to Christianity, start learning the New Testament. Now, hey, you ever ask you a question? Like, listen, Hashem gave us the five books of Moses. It's foundation. Hashem gave us the Tanakh. Hashem gave us the Mishnah. Hashem gave us the Gemara. Hashem gave us the Zohar. Hashem gave us the Midrashim. Did you finish all of those before you got to your book? Okay, so you're learning Tanya. Chazaku Baruch. Did you finish the entire Chumash with commentary? Yes? Okay, Pseda. Did you finish the entire Shaz? Oh, no, not yet. What, did you finish Masechet Brachot? Did you finish Masechet Ta'anit? Did you finish Masechet Megillah? You have tens of others. Those are just the small ones. It's like a Shabbat, it's almost 150 pages. The Pim. It's five books. Or four books in uh, the art scroll. You finish? Oh no, you still... So. Okay, so the book that you have is great. But come on. And then you have the people that are completely off. People that are completely different religion. They go to Christianity, start reading, they spend their entire life, and their entire eternity is dependent... On some idiot dying. For them. Doesn't say anywhere in the Torah that if somebody dies for you, it's good for you. Each person dies for their own sins. And the reality of it is you're saying that, no, no, we're going to base it all on this book. Okay, so what about the book that you believe before the book? So Jeremiah tells us something of what Hashem thinks when he sees this. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, 14, it says, mm-hmm. It says, borot, borot, nishbarim, for my people has committed two evils. We made two sins. What sins do we make? They're forsaking me, the source of living water, to dig for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold the water. Is Israel a slave? Is he born to a housemaid? Why has he become prey? 
Jeremiah is telling us his message from Hashem. Hashem is looking at us when we don't learn Torah, and instead of that we read newspapers, we read New Testaments, false testaments, foolishness and nonsense. Not chas that I'm calling chazal stuff like Tanya or Yalkut Yosef foolishness. I'm just saying in general, when we are leaving the Torah and basing our entire life on just a something that's not recognized like the falsianity or something that's not complete like one book from one sage Hashem is not happy about that but sometimes we get to a point where we don't read anything it makes Hashem even more upset He says we get to a point where we make two sins one, we leave Hashem who is the source of life He's the water of life we need water to survive. And what do we replace this water? We go in the middle of the desert and dig a hole. He's an ocean of fresh water that never ends. And we leave that to go look for a hole in the middle of the desert. Maybe it's going to have some water. We leave the entire Torah, the five books of Moses, the Gemara, the Mishnah, the Zohar, the Midrashim, the Tanakh, we leave everything, we go look at some other book that somebody bought, somebody wrote, 300 years of somebody else died, or something, or something, we just, we're leaving the source of life. And what happens when we leave the source of life? He says, is Israel a slave? Is he born to a housemaid? Why has he become prey? How do I know Israel? How do I know my people have left the source of life? It's not like really we all go to the desert and looking for holes. What is it really? They start looking like the goyim. He says, why are you acting like a slave? Why are you acting like you're just one of the regular people? You're the chosen people. Why do you want to look like them? Why do you want to dress like them? Why are you ashamed to wear a big keeper all the time? Why are you ashamed to have your tzitzit on? Why do you talk with a slang? Like yo, yo. Like we came from the hood. And you say words like axe. Like it's a real word. It's ask. A-S-K. Why do you talk like that? Why do you listen to that stupid music that taints your brain? Why are you embarrassed to be a chosen one? Why? And then he says, why have they become prey? It's not really a question. He says, oh, are you asking why did you become prey? Are you asking why the United Nations all voted against you and overnight the world made you public enemy number one? Are you asking why even your own people hate you? Are you asking because you left the source of life. You left the source of life, my friends. And you're not doing Ritzon Hashem. So Jeremiah here is giving us a wake-up call. Every verse he writes, Mamash, it's like a wake-up call. You have to do tshuva every time. You read his books. Was he the one that you we see? Yes. Like a roll. They tried to rebuke the tribe of Ephraim. And they made him a seat, yeah.
Okay. He cursed the day he was born. So on. He didn't fail in, in Sefer Asira, which is his son. Sira, it says that it didn't end up being a waste of seed. Well, because you're surrounded by Reshaim, surrounded by Reshaim, that's what happens. Sometimes you can still get affected by the people. True. Sure. So now in the Gemara, Brachot. I know Nisan, not Nisan, uh, Sani, is interested in some Gemara. So Bezot Hashem, we learn a few things about Gemara that connect to what we're learning here. Gemara Masechet Brachot. You guys learned this already? You learned what I learned already? That's the source of the Torah, right? Did you learn what I'm teaching? No, but I don't know what you mean. Okay, so let's see. So let's check what we are. Page 33a. It says a story about Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa. Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa is notified that there's a big snake in town killing people left and right. Famous story. He's killing people. People are scared. Rabbi Hanina comes to the hole of where the snake is supposed to be. He puts his foot in the hole. He's not trapping it. He's not trying to trap it like, hey, come, come, hey, little snake, snake, come over here, come over here. No, no, no. He puts his leg in the hole so the snake bites him. The snake bites him, takes the snake out, Kills the snake. And he takes the snake to the Bet Midrash. First of all, everybody's looking at him. He's like, how is he not dead? Second of all, why are you bringing him to Bet Midrash? Everybody's scared. So Rabbi Hanina, why did you bring the snake, this snake that killed so many people, to the Bet Midrash? He says, I came here to show you that snakes don't kill. Sins kill. Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa is teaching us something critical. When you do Ritzon Hashem, you have nothing to worry about. Nothing. The snake won't touch you. Even if the snake bites you, it won't affect you. Even if the thief comes to your house, it won't affect you. Even if the president hates your people, won't affect you. What will affect you? Your sins. Your sins will affect you. If you have pain in your life, it's because you're not doing Ritzon Hashem. You have hardship, your Ritzon Hashem is lacking. Something's missing. Something is missing. If we move on to Gemara Maseret Brachot, page 35b, we learn something very interesting. First, Rabbi Hanan Bar Papa says, Kol en, kol en ehena, min haolam hazeh velo bracha, Rabbi Hanina Bar Papa says, 
whoever derives benefit from this world without reciting a blessing is regarded as if he robs the Holy One, blessed is he, and the assembly of Israel. You drank coffee without a blessing, you stole from Hashem. You woke up in the morning without saying Modeani, you stole from Hashem. You ate an apple, you forgot the bracha, you stole from Hashem. You ate food, you forgot to do bracha achrona, last blessing, the mazon or anything else. You stole from Hashem, you thief. From Hashem you, th- you stole. Not from a regular person, you stole from Hashem. How do you live with yourself? Well, Rabbi Harina is telling us here. You enjoyed anything in this world without blessing Hashem Barach. You have yourself a problem. And he says, he continues, Shemar, Shma b'ni Musar avicha ve'al titosh Torah imecha. Heed my son the discipline of your father and do not forsake the instructions of your mother. Why? If you, if you forsake the instructions of your mother, what would happen? Rabbi Chaniabah Papa, who's going to be your friend now? We just said before, that if your friends are bad, you're going to be bad. He says, if you don't do blessings, you steal with Hashem on a regular basis. You're considered the companion to Yerovam ben Nevat. Who destroyed the loyalty of Israel to their father in heaven? Who induced Am Israel to do idol worship? Do, induced Am Israel to do idol worship. He says, You don't do blessings. He's your friend. Where is he going to be your friend? Not in, not in a very hot place. So now, Rabbi Chaminabar Papa is telling you, okay, how do I know I'm doing Ritzon Hashem? How do I know? We got a Mishnah here, we got a Gemara here, how do we connect all these things? It says in the book of Hosea, chapter 2, verse 11, it says, degani beito. Hashem says, and I will take back my grain in its time. But then in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 11, verse 14, says, says that you will gather your grain. So Rabbi Hanina is telling us here, wait a minute. Saying you're stealing from Hashem, what are you stealing for? On one end, in the book of Hosea, Hashem says, yeah, everything is mine. Just like it says, Here he says, all the grain is mine, I'm going to take it back. But how can you take it back if you already said in the five books of Moses, Sefer Deuteronomy, he says that all the money is yours, meaning it's ours. So if it's mine, if I made the Parnassah, if I went to work, if I bought the apple, if I made the coffee, you said it's mine. So what did I do a blessing for? Close, but not it. On one end you said it's mine, but then you said it's yours. So Rabbi Hanina Bar Papa says, Lokashya, there's no contradiction here. 
כאן בזמן שישראל עושים רצונו של מקום, כאן בזמן שאין ישראל עושים רצונו של מקום. Here in the verse, which states that you will gather your grain, it refers to a time when Israel is doing the will of, of Hashem. But here in a verse, where the grain belongs to Hashem, it refers to a time when Israel does not do the will of Hashem. Meaning, when you're doing mitzvot, you're doing the will of Hashem with cheshek, with zealousness, with alacrity. You're serious about mitzvot, you're serious about Torah, you're serious about Kvod Hashem, you're serious about Kiddush Hashem. Everything is yours. The money is yours, the honor is yours, everything is yours. But when you don't, it's mine. Hashem says it's mine. If it's mine, I don't want to give it to you anymore. Before it was yours, I gave it to you, I made it, I made you feel like you actually made it. I made you go to work, I gave you the energy to go to work, I made you pick the right stock, I made you pick the right investment, I made you pick the right partner, or the right product, or the right this or the right. I made all those things, but I made you feel like you made it. So you felt like you made the money, you felt like the money was yours. But then you forgot me. You forgot my endless fresh water and you went to a hole in the desert looking for some water. You went to a new religion. You went to a new cult. You went to a new neighborhood. You went to the 35th floor in some building and forgot that you can't be a righteous Jew living on the 35th floor because there's no Bek Nesset on the 35th floor. You can't be a Jew alone. So you forgot me. So now I'm going to remind you that's my money really. And if it's my money, I'm going to take it. I don't want to give it to you anymore. And you're going to go from the 35th floor to Shem Yachem, a basement, or even homeless. So now, this is stage one. Stage one, Hashem says, know that everything that you get in this world, you have to bless me. When you bless me, money comes in. When you're doing my will, money comes in. When you don't do the will of Hashem, no money comes in. In fact, money starts coming out. So you see people working, making a hundred, two hundred thousand a month, but somehow they have a hard time figuring out how could they take off over the weekend or take off an extended weekend because they don't know if they could survive. Or if they can afford a new lease of a $300 a month car. You're making $200,000 a month. You can't afford $300. No, there's no profit. No profit in this money. It's $200,000 worth nothing. The newspaper boy that makes $300 a week, he makes more money than me because his cost is nothing. He makes $300. My $200,000 a month is worth nothing. There's no profit. As a matter of fact, I'm losing $5,000. There's plenty of companies in the stock market make three, four, five hundred million dollars, in some cases billions of dollars. Billions of dollars in sales, and they're making losses. 
Bosses, they're losing money to be in business. They make $5 billion a year, but they're losing $500 million. And someone's doing accounting wrong. No, it's not accounting wrong. It's just that Hashem is making it what it is. So here you see Hashem says, I run the world. It's not based on logic. It's based on Hashem's divine wisdom. The amount of money you make is irrelevant. What you keep is what we're looking for here. And what you keep is all dependent on whether you have Kvod Hashem in your life or not. Honor of Hashem is part of your life. And then he continues... To stage two. In the book of Joshua, chapter one, verse eight, it says, The rabbi is taught in the Bereta, it says, How do you get to a point where it can become your grain? Meaning where your money could be yours, where you get blessing. It says, as it says in the book of Joshua. The book of Torah shall not depart from your mouth. Meaning you learn Torah non-stop, you'll never worry about Panasa. We'll get to that. How do you know if you actually at this point, that you're doing this, they say that some people can learn Torah full-time, but some people can't. So Rabbi Ishmael said, like we learned last week, learn together with Torah study. Uh, learn, uh, uh, lead together with Torah study, a, a, a life conducted in the way of the world. Meaning, combine your Torah study with earning a livelihood. Go to work, but also learn Torah. That's the best way, Rabbi Ishmael says. Rabbi Shimon says, yeah, but if you're going to plow the, uh, you know, when the time is to plow, and then you're going to sow when it's time to sow, and then you're going to thresh when it's time to thresh, and then you're going to winnow when, you're going to t- when it's time to winnow. Meaning in so many words, if you're going to wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning. And right away after the minyan, you're going to run to work. And you're at work and you're already working. And then when you work, you can't really listen to the Torah. And then when you get home, you're dead tired. And then you go to Beknes, you pray. But then after you pray, you have to have dinner. And then after you have dinner, you have to spend time with your wife. And after you have time with your wife, then you have to look at the stock market again. And then after you finish that, you want to read a book with your friends. And maybe hang out with the kids. When is there going to be time for your Torah? When? So Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is telling you, no, 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 the best way, my friend, is to only learn Torah. So he's a machloket. A machloket between the two. Rabbi Ishmael is saying, learn Torah and work. Rabbi Shimon is saying, no, no, only learn Torah. So how, how do we, what's, what's the, what's, what do we learn from here?
The ideal situation meant by the Torah cannot be that combining the Torah study with earning a livelihood. It's not the ideal. Ideal is not working and making money. Working and learning Torah. Rather, Rather, it means Joshua is telling us in the, uh, in the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verse 8, when he says, when he says that the book of Torah shall not depart from your mouth, he says, when the people of Israel do the will of Hashem, then their work is done by others. But at a time when the people of Israel do not do the will of, the, of Hashem, of the Omnipresent, their work is not necessarily done personally by them. And not only that, the work of others is done by them. So what does it mean? This is stage two. He says, if you're doing the will of Hashem, and when you're studying, when you're going to study full time, you're really studying? You're not just studying an hour, just hanging out the rest of the day? And not only are you studying, you're studying serious stuff. And not only are you studying serious stuff, you're studying to teach. As it says in the Gemara Masechet Avodah Zarah, I believe it's page 17, someone who learns purely for the sake of learning without an intent to ever teach is like someone who doesn't have a God. Meaning your intention ultimately is to teach. Teach yourself, teach your family, teach your wife, teach your kids, teach the public, teach your neighbors, teach somebody. At some point, not right away, but at some point, your intention, your goal should be to teach someone, not just to keep it to yourself. If you study with someone, is that like... Uh, it's good. But continue to build it, continue to... Okay, it's chavuta now, one year, two years, five years, ten years, eventually you want to expand. You're going to have kids with other shem, you're going to have other friends, you're going to have other people, build it. But he says, when you're doing, when Am Yisrael is doing Ritzon Hashem then their work is going to be done by other people. You don't have to go to actual real work. Money is going to come to you by itself. When you're doing Ritzon Hashem, he says, this is Mishnah says, you're doing Ritzon Hashem, it can get up to the point where money arrives at your door. But when you're not doing Ritzon Hashem, you're doing the opposite. You go to Beknesset, but it's like half a tefillah. You're opening the book, but you're not actually reading. Your phone is on all day. You're trying to learn Gemara, but the phone is on all, all day. And you're, every two seconds, who texts me? Who this? Who this? Who this? You can't really learn. It's not really uh, the, the uh, Arizal. I believe it was Arizal. was the Vilna Gaon. I confuse them sometimes. Says that if you're not going to learn, like we're full 100% focus, better not to learn at all. Shem Rechem, if he was alive in our generation, you see the phones, he wouldn't leave, uh, he would go into a cave. He wouldn't leave. How many distractions to learn Torah today? It's unbelievable. To learn an hour or two hours of Torah is like a miracle. So now, he's telling you, when you're doing the will of Hashem, other people are going to do work for you. But when you're not, not only is the money not going to be coming in, but on top of it, the money that's actually, you're going to go work, you're going to go make a lot of money. But where is it going to go? It says it's going to go to your enemies. All the, you're going to go work, but your boss is going to get rich and you hate your boss. You're going to go work, but your competition is going to steal your idea and he's going to make the money. 
And by the time you win the lawsuit, it's already obsolete. Who cares about this patent? You're going to create the first video card, but Intel is going to make the billions. By the time you win your $3 million, they already made $600 billion off of it. Why? You didn't do Ritzon Hashem. You don't deserve it. That's stage two. Gets harder. Gets harder. Hold on. Stage one, we know money comes in, money doesn't come in. Stage two, it says, not only is money not coming in, Shemirachem, it says money is going to our enemies, which is the worst. But now, Abaye says, statistically speaking, many people did what Rabbi Ishmael said, which is work and learn Torah. And many people did what Rabbi Shimon said, just Torah. While most of the people that did what Rabbi Ishmael said, which is learn Torah and work, most of them were successful. The people that only learned Torah, like Rabbi Shimon said, were not as successful. This contradicts. Wait a minute, you just said, if I learn Torah, it's even better. But you're telling me here that if I learn and I work, that's better. No, not necessarily. Uh, Rebbe, Rebbe was very rich, and many uh, Rabbi Akiva was very rich. No, no, it's not. You don't have to be poor because you learn Torah. I mean, if you learn, it says in Torah, if you learn Torah in poverty, then you will live to learn Torah in, uh, in wealth. But that's not what we're talking about here. Here, Abaye is telling us something. He's throwing us, as you can see, the Gemara keeps changing. We learn, we learn, we learn. All of a sudden, everything turns upside down. That's the Gemara for you. But then... We fixed the contradiction. So on one hand, they just told us, listen, Ritzon Hashem, Ritzon Hashem, what Yeshua Benun, Yeshua Benun, G'dol Ador, after Moshe Rabbeinu, he says, all you gotta do is learn Torah. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, all you gotta do is learn Torah. But Abayah says, listen, I saw the outcome. Most people just learned Torah, they weren't successful. The ones that worked and learned Torah, they were successful. Sestira, what do you mean? You're telling me that Yeshua Ben Nun was, was wrong? You're telling me that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was wrong? How could this be? Gemara says, Rava, says to the rabbis, I beg of you, during the days of Nisan and the days of Tishrei, do not appear before me, so that you will not be preoccupied with your sustenance the entire year. So here he's explaining to us, What's really happening here? He says, first and foremost, most people are not, were not successful learning Torah full-time because not everybody is at the level of learning Torah full-time. They go to the kolel, but they look at girls all day. They go outside, smoke cigarettes, and look at who's walking around. They go smoke cigarettes, they go buy coffee, make a few phone calls, maybe look at the stock market, maybe watch some sports on the phone. They go to call them. But they don't really study. It's 50-50. They go, but they're thinking about this, they're thinking about that. That's the worst. He says, you're definitely not going to succeed. Because not only you're not working, but you're not really learning. So not everybody's at the level 
of being a Talmud Chacham, learning full time. But there are some that succeeded because they're really Matmidim. They become Gdole Adol. They become the people that the world revolves around. But the balance of working and learning at the same time is most applicable to everyone. Not everyone's at the level because to be someone that learns all day, you have to earn your spot. It's not just because you don't have the luxury of having money, you don't have to work. Or because your wife wants you to go to Kolel, then therefore you're going to be a success story. You could go to Kolel a hundred hours a day, but if you come home and you're an animal to your, to your wife, you're worthless. You are worthless. Nothing. Your Torah is worthless. All your Kolel stuff is worthless. If your rabbi knew what your Kolel, that that's how you act to your wife, he'd throw you out of the Kolel, send you back to work. He says, you're better off in the, uh, in the shuk. In the market, selling fish, selling chalva. Then coming to my call and desecrating Hashem's name, pretending like you're learning, but you're an animal to your wife at home. So, not everybody necessarily can get to a point where, hey, hey, you're going to be Talmud Chacham just because you go to Kolel. If you're already going to go, then no, Rabbi Shimon means that you could succeed. You could be a big doladol. You could be the next Rabbi Shimon. But you have to be the Vuka Torah glued. No phone, no text, no nothing. Learn without talking, learn without nothing. You're 100% concerned with the Torah. And if you still have Iruim, you still have all different types of thoughts about Shtuyot, that means that what you're learning is not enough. Not the quantity, but what you're learning as far as quality, meaning you're not really interested into it. Instead of reading Masechet Bachot, read Masechet Avodah Zarah. Instead of reading the Marai, read Musar. Read something that's going to wake you up. I'll just warm up your seat and say, I go to Kolel. It's not, there's no Chokhmah in just going to the Kolel. So you can be successful, but it comes at a price. But then, that answers part of the question. The other part of the question is, what do you mean? You're advocating people to go to work? Yeshua ben Nun said, don't go to work. He said, learn Torah. We can go against Yeshua ben Nun. You have a book written about you in the Torah? I don't. He does. So what is he saying here? Rava explains it. Amatara shel adam, the the goal or target of a person should be to make as much money as he can in the most in the least amount of work, meaning the least amount of time. But not as much money as he can so you can buy a Bentley and a five-story house and a bling-bling this and a bling-bling that and his wife is on the cover of this and his wife is on the cover of that and he has an MTV Cribs coming to his house. <laughs> no, my friends. You make the most amount of money just to survive. If you made your money to survive for the day, you finished. The Ramchal used to be a diamond uh, cutter. Used to cut diamonds. And so many of G'dolei Adol, so was the Rambam, was a full-time, uh, he was a renaissance man. He was a doctor, a philosopher, a scientist. He was many things. But you look at all the sages, whether it's Rabbi Akiva, or Hillel Zaken or Shammai, all of them had work. 
but didn't have work like us. We go to work at uh, 7 o'clock in the morning, we come home at 7 o'clock at night with dead time, barely even able to open a Gemara. No. They went to work, they worked just enough to make what they need to make. I need $30 a day to live, I go make my $30, I go home. As soon as I make my $30, I'm going home. I'm done. Unless it's not my option. Unless the guy's only going to hire me if I work nine hours a day. Okay, I work nine hours a day, I go home. That's it. I'm not going to hang out with the, you know, office party. Hey, how you doing? Hey, what's going on? What do you think this weekend's going to be? I don't know. I think it's going to be hot. You're not going to office parties. You go work, you work, you go home. You, go, you, you, you hang out with your wife, you go study Torah. You do work for two hours. So, Rabbi is telling us here, do me a favor, I beg you. During the days of Nisan and Tishrei, don't appear before me. Don't come learn. Don't come learn in, in, in uh, Nisan and Tishrei. Go work. Why? Because you can make enough money during those two months where you don't have to work the other ten. So it's not that Rabbi Ishmael is telling us, hey, listen, go work full time. Go work for Google 80 hours a day. Go work for Intel 900 hours a day. No, 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 my friend. He says, go try to do whatever you can just to survive because the ikar, the point of life, the real key is for you to learn Torah, not for you work. You don't need this big house. You don't need five cars. You need to survive. Because the ikar, the key of life, the point, should not be to consume more stuff you can't take to Allah by anyway. The only thing you can take is what Gemara page you know by heart. What Gemara page you actually understood what it said. What verse you remember, what verse you read. That's the only thing you can take to Olamba. You can't take your car, even if it's a really nice car. You can't take your plane, even if it was really expensive. You can't. If you focus on just making money, 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 you're going to show up over there in Olamba homeless. What do you have in Torah? Nothing. Your mitzvot? Barely anything. You'd be all homeless. Yes, you could sponsor other people doing tshuva. You could sponsor other people learning Torah, which is a Yisachar and Zvulun deal. But you have to know something very, very critical about it. In the Shira Shirim, Song of Songs. Song of Songs, Shira Shirim, you read, Sephardics read it on Friday night. It gives an answer to what you're asking. Shira Shirim, verse 8. You ask all the right questions, like we had it set up, this whole thing. So... It says, Ma'im Rabim, this is chapter 8, verse 7. Ma'im Rabim lo yachlu lechavot et ha'ava ve'una'arot lo yishtefua. Im yiten ish et kol hon beto ba'ava boz yavuzu lo. Many waters of heathen tribulation cannot extinguish the fire of this love, nor rivers of royal seduction or torture wash it away. Were any man to offer all the treasure of his home to entice you away from your love, they would scorn him to extreme. So in the Gemara, Masichet Sotah, page 21a, 
There's a story about Hillel and his brother Shevna. Hillel was a major tzaddik. We learned some of his Mishnayot. And his brother Shevna was a big businessman, very, very rich. And his brother comes to him and he says, Listen, I made all this money and everything. I don't need all this money. You learned this Torah. You don't need all this Torah. Let's make a deal. I'll give you half my money. You give me half your mitzvot. What's what's nice deal, no? A bat kol, a heavenly voice came from Shemaim and said this verse. Saying, God is replying, he says, if a man gives all the money in the world, not just his money, not half of his wealth that Hashem gave him anyway, all the money in the world, you couldn't buy even one of the mitzvot that he already did. One of the gemarot that he already learned. Even one of the words that he read in the chumash, in first grade, you can't get that even. One letter is a mitzvah in the Torah. If every letter you read in the Chumash, every letter you read in the Torah is a mitzvah by itself. Meaning you read one verse, usually is about somewhere in the neighborhood, maybe six to ten words in each verse, sometimes more, sometimes less. Each word has about five letters. So you're figuring every verse is anywhere between 30, could be as many as a hundred mitzvot. One of those letters, not the whole verse, one letter, one mitzvah, you couldn't buy with all the money in the world. After I already read it. But Kol came from Shammai. Says, hey, hey, Shevna, you have all this money that I gave you. You want to buy your brother's mitzvot? You trying to buy it, they're going to laugh. He says, Boz Yavuzubo. What are they going to do? They're going to laugh at you in heaven for even trying such foolishness. <coughs> From Song of Songs and from this book, from the Gemara Masechet Sotah and from the story of Hillel, we learn something very, very critical. We learn that if you want to sponsor Torah, you want to sponsor somebody doing tshuva, you have to do it before he learns it. There was a guy, real story, used to buy Rav Ovadia, Zechet Tzadik Livracha, a BMW every year. A BMW every year. Very rich guy in Israel. You know the story, maybe. Oh, I don't know what kind of car. Oh, I know it was a very expensive one. It was almost like a million shekels every year. Every year we'd buy him a new car. Not that Ravavadya would drive much, but nonetheless, he would buy him a new car. Usually Ravavadya would give it to his family. You know how the guy died? The guy died in a helicopter accident. Him and his grandkids all died. Now there's a stira. There's a contradiction here. It says, Stakata Timimavit. Stakata Timimavit. It says that Staka will save you from death. So how does the Torah explain this? Given Ravovadia, a BMW when he's Ravovadia, is not Staka, my friend. It's a gift. It's not Staka. Given Ravovadia, when he's just Ovadia, a Tamit Chacham, working hard in a, in, a, in a kolel, no one knows who he is, maybe he wrote one book that no one actually read. He's learning, he's learning, his pants are ripped because he can't afford new ones. Giving him money? That, my friend, is Tzedakah. 
giving a big uh, speaker that charges $25,000 a speech just to tell people they, you know, to feel good about themselves, it's not taka. Giving someone a dollar to go pu- give a CD to somebody to help them do tshuva, that's taka. Even though on one end is 25000 the other one is $1. The dollar is more valuable than the 25000 Obviously, it's ideal you give more. But the point being here is that staka will save your life from, from, from a death penalty. It's only if it's real staka. Not if you just give money away. Give money away means nothing. You give bikness it, uh, you know, hey, listen, I want this bikness to have another extension. Okay, you have another extension, but there's a bunch of avrichim that are about to go homeless because they have no money to eat. What about the actual walking, living Torah? Some people do just for the faith. Most people do. The Rabbi Yisrael from Salant, one time he saw there's a uh, a mother trying to collect, uh, a woman trying to collect money. And uh, no one's giving her. So he asks... What is she doing? What is she? The call. Oh, she's trying to collect money for uh, for her son. He's sick, and no one's giving. No one has. So he says, "Sell the parochet. Sell the sefer Torah. Sell everything." The difference: there's a sefer Torah and there's a living sefer Torah. These books are wonderful, but if no one reads them, what use are they? So we are, here we have to understand that first and foremost, Ritzon Hashem is not necessarily something that makes sense to our natural mind. We have to think about it. So first step we said, you do Hashem's will, money comes in, you don't do it, money comes out, or no money comes in. Second stage is the dual will of Hashem. Money comes in, you don't do it. Hashem gives the money to your enemies. Hashem Yerachem. Third stage is studying work is good. Only studying is better. But only if you are fully focused. If you're not fully focused, then you should study and work. And even if you study and work, remember that purely studying is the real goal. So do the least amount of work in order to study. That's stage three. Stage four. Rabbi Barbachana said that Rabbi Yochanan reported in the name of Rabbi Yehuda, the son of Rabbi Eli. Says, come and see that the later generations are unlike the earlier generations. The lever of piety has greatly declined. The earlier generations made their Torah study their main occupation and their work incidental. And both this, meaning their Torah knowledge and their financial means, remained with them. But in the case of later generations, who made their work their main occupation and their Torah study incidental, Neither this nor this remained with them. So he says, okay, the outcome of all of this, 
Obviously, we know we have to do the will of Hashem. So money would come in. We don't do it, money doesn't come in. If we do it right, money will come in, no problem. If we don't do it right, then our enemies will get it. But if we go work, we need to understand that it has to be work and study. But in reality, Yeshua ben Nun already told us your main goal should be to only study. But even if you have to work, make sure that you do the least amount of work in order to study. But then Rabbi Barbachana is telling us here, but look at what's happened over time. Previous generations were able to only study, and they were rich anyway. Yaakov Avinu studied Torah, became multimillionaire. Avraham Avinu, multimillionaire. Yitzhak Avinu, multimillionaire. Yosef HaTzadik, multimillionaire. Rabbi Akiva, multimillionaire. Rabbi Uda, multimillionaire. Everybody's a millionaire. Previous generations, look at them succeeding. And not only the millionaires, but they Gdole Historia, they're Gdole Israel, the giants. He says, now, not only do they not know as much Torah, but they're also not rich. What happened? Is what happened is in the past, people made the Torah their number one obligation and priority, and the work, something they had to do on the side just to survive. You loot. So I have to cut wood, so I'll cut wood for an hour, so I can study for ten. The Chafetz Chaim says he would sleep ten hours for every forty hours of Torah that he would learn. Every 40 hours of Torah, he can sleep 10 hours. Meaning for every 10 hours, he'd sleep 2. Of learning Torah, but learning Torah like him. So now, they're telling us here, in the previous generations, they made Torah number 1. They not only got Torah knowledge, but they got money. Now, they worry about money more than Torah. So what happens? Not only do they not have money, but they also don't have, they don't have Torah either. This is already in the Gemara from 2,000 years ago. So here we see ourselves that what Ritzon Hashem really means. Go ahead. I read in the book, it said, I think in the Zohar, that when the Jews don't give their seed to the non-Jew, the Jews have all the money in the world. And also, if a person wants very easy money, if he doesn't make seed, money will come to him very easy. He'll do barely any... Effort and money will come. But if you waste seed, it's going to have to... It's one of the mitzvot. Yeah, it's one of the mitzvot. By, by itself, it, by itself, no. By it's, it's one, that's one of the things. There's no one mitzvah that does everything. Mitzvah, exactly. Unless... One, uh, huh? This specific mitzvah, it says, and it gives sources like... In the zone, Assuming you follow the entire Shulchan everything else is based you on... Waste, you can't be a violator of Shabbat and just because you don't waste seed, everything's going to be okay. Right, you have to keep... Right, so that's the point, yeah. Right, so that's... I don't want anyone to confuse and thinking that, okay, if I go and, uh, you know, just don't waste seed, then I'll be rich automatically, even though I violate Shabbat and I work on Shabbat. No, that's nonsense. And you have this fixed, then you're going to have great money powers and you're going to struggle and it's going to come very easy. Right. So now, how do we prove to Hashem... How do we prove to Hashem that we really are doing His will and not only are we doing His will but we are nullifying our own will 
Not only we're doing His will and making it like we want to do it, but we're nullifying our own will at the same time. First of all, it's to do His will with cheshek. We want to do it. So you give tzedakah, not like, ah, it's $100 for CDs? Okay, fine. Oh, it's this? Oh, okay, fine. Why? Do you need $1,000 for this thing? Oh, man, expensive this year. You give it like that, don't give it all. Keep it. You lost all the mitzvah anyway. Or if you're one of those people that says, no, no, I donated $1,000 for this uh, new thing. You told everybody? You lost 99% of the mitzvah. You might as well not do it. Why? Because you're going to be so sorry when you get to Allah Abai, the only thing that you have left, you're going to cry more than celebrate. Because you already lost all the mitzvah. So, it doesn't necessarily need to be only anonymous, but don't publicize it to the world. So now, first we have to show him that we're doing his will. But second of all, we have to show him that we're willing to nullify our own will. So how is it? When someone is giving money, for example, you have to give it with all the cheshek you have, all the excitement. Oh, I can't wait to donate because I know this is going to save souls. I can't wait to donate because I know this is going to get somebody to, you know, study Torah with a uh, 100% kavanah because he's not going to be worried about eating and so on and so forth. So Gemara, Brachot, again, page 63, 4, 63a. It asks, Rabbi Yochanan, Chizkiah, the son of Rabbi Parcha, says in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, למה נסמכה פרשת סוטה לפרשת תרומות ומעשרות? Why is it? Because each one of the parashot in the Torah is connected to each other. And there's always a reason of why each parasha is connected. So it says, why is the parasha that is regarding sota, the wayward woman, connected to the parasha that talks about giving ma'asel? Who's Maser? Maser to the, to the Levim, to the Kohanim. To tell you, Lomar lecha, Kol sheyesh lo trumot u maasrot, Veno notnan le Kohen, Sof nitzrach la Kohen al yedei ishto. Shem irachem. He says, anyone who doesn't give his Maser, is not only missing out, on, on the benefits of Maaser V'tit Asher. He's not only missing out on, Hashem says, you give 10% of your income. And I'm telling you, you will actually be, become rich. You make 4,000, you give 400. You make 10,000, you give 1,000. You make 100,000, you make 10,000. You give 10,000. You give 10%. He says, not only is he missing out because Hashem says, you do this, I promise you'll be rich. Test me. Actually, in a verse in the Torah, in the book of Job, and in one other place, he says, I promise you, you'll become rich in your life. That's, the one thing you're That's one thing you're allowed to test Hashem. Now he says, not only are you losing out, you're losing out on the benefits of Maaser, but Hashem, Yerachem, if you understood this, you already start crying while I'm talking. He says, not only that, you're not giving the Maaser to the Kohanim. Who's the Kohanim? Rambam says, all of the Tamidim Chachamim, any, everyone that's studying Torah, Everyone's involved in Torah life. That's considered the Levim. That's considered the the uh, the Levites of today. If you don't give your money to the Kohen, you don't give your money to Tamit Chacham, you don't give your money to save Jews. He says, what happens? What's the Kohen used for? 
The Quran is used for when you need to show, bring your wayward wife, you suspect that she cheated on you. You bring her as a Quran, help me out. Tell me if she cheated on me. Give her the special water, give her this, give her that. Tell me if she cheated on me. They have private detectives. That's what we need the coin for. So he says the reason why Parashat Sota is, uh, uh, is, is connected to Parashat Trumot, the reason why the two Parashot are connected is because if you don't give the Maasel to the Kohanim, you're going to end up needing the Kohanim because your wife is going to cheat on you. It's a harsh punishment. Horrendous punishment. Horrendous. One way or another, you're going to have to go to Kohanim because you're going to need them. So this can mean a lot of different things. It can mean that you're going to have slumbite problems. You're going to need the coin. You're going to need this Talmud Chacham. You didn't want to give him any money. You did him a favor by giving him $100. But you're going to need him because you tell him, listen, my wife wants to divorce me because I did da 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 Help me out. Exactly. Exactly. And not only this, Velo od ela sof And not only this, but in the end, be that he will himself require them. Meaning... He himself will fall into poverty and need to borrow money from these Tamidim Chachamim. He's going to end up needing to borrow. If he doesn't give Maasel, at the end it says he's going to have to end up, he's going to go to them for what? To go borrow money. He'll be worse, than them. He'll be worse off than they are. Amar Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak says, Vim netanan sof mit asher. But if he does give these gifts, in the end, he will become rich. Shenemar ish asher yiten lekohen lo yiye. As it says, a man who will give these things to the kohen, it will be for him. Lo yiye mamon arbe. It means. For him, there will be great wealth. Great wealth. So here we see that Hashem is not just saying, oh, listen, this is like an elective, you should give, not give. He says, if you really are going to do my will, Ritzon Hashem, that means you have to live you have to nullify your own will. What does it mean, nullify your own will? Nullify your own will in a sense that nullify your own will to how much money you want. Meaning you have 100,000, like, ah, listen, if I'm going to give this guy 10,000, I'm only going to have 90,000. If I have 4,000, I'm going to give this guy 400, I'm going to only have 3,600. You have a desire for money. Mara says, someone has 200, he wants 400. Someone has 400, he wants 800. Meaning the more you have, the more you want. So now, if you're thinking that money is yours... You're going to have a very hard time giving it. If you like money too much, you're going to have a very hard time giving it as donation. So he's telling you here, part of doing the will of Hashem and showing him that you're serious is by nullify your own desire, nullify your own will for money. Meaning you're giving it because you know that the only reason Hashem gave you a hundred is so you can give ten. Not because for you to have a hundred. He gave you a reward of 90 for you to give the 10. You're getting paid 90 to give the 10. Not because he wants you to have 100. When someone understands that already, they're going in the right direction. Give 20, you get more blessing? Yeah, the chamushit is, is higher, yes. Yes, I think it's a better 
the right place. Like a Hanukkah party is not. Hanukkah party, I don't think it's going to help you. You're not going to become rich. I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't, I don't remember anybody saying any Chazal stories that this guy donated to a Hanukkah party and, uh, and uh, everything was fine. So now, we have ourselves a couple of Gemarot putting things into perspective. But then we have A person saying, okay, I'm doing the will of Hashem. But he's not doing my will. First off, you know, you may think you're doing the will of Hashem, but Hashem doesn't agree. But how do you know ultimately that you're definitely going the right thing? Because some people have money. They have money. It's like, oh, look, I'm getting money. So that means I'm doing, I'm doing okay. I have a Ferrari. I have a five-story house. I have a wife. I have kids. What else? I have. Hashem gave me Parnassah. You said he gave me Parnassah. He gave me Parnassah. Okay, but Mechal Shabbat, though, right? Yeah, Mechal Shabbat. Work on Shabbat. Eat pork. All those things. Okay, but he gave it to me anyway. Maybe he's happy. This generation is so low. Maybe he's happy if I even just say his name once in a while. I kiss the mezuzah. Maybe that's enough. He says, no. How do you know ultimately it's all of this is working? Nullify your will in the face of his will so that he will nullify the will of others in the face of your will. Meaning, if you have a car and you have a house and you have a family, you have everything in If you have everything and you're happy, content, and everything is wonderful... That's one thing. But name one person that you know like that. Why? Because everyone has a different type of enemy. Everybody has this guy suing him. This guy hates him. This guy is this. This guy is that. IRS is after you. FINRA is after you. SEC is after you. Partner is after you. Uh, competition is after you. Everybody's after you. Everybody has constant wars. This is the reason why all, the only people getting rich today are lawyers. Everybody's got a lawsuit. Everybody's got a kid that's getting thrown out of school. Everybody's got a neighbor that's complaining about them to the board so they don't have an extension to their house. You have constant enemies everywhere. You don't have the shalva. You have the stuff maybe because plenty of Am Yisrael have a lot of money. They have houses. They have cars. They have wives. They have kids. They have the basic look of what it looks like if you were successful. But if you go to every one of them, I meet them privately, they'll cry. Every single one of them cries of how miserable life is. Life is miserable. This guy wants to die. The other one wants a divorce. This one wants to leave. This one, everybody's miserable. Why? Because Hashem says, you're not doing my will. I gave you stuff and I'm giving you time. I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt before I take the stuff away. I'm going to give you problems. But problems you could pretty much are the biggest problems in life. What is it? You have competition problems. You have lawsuits. You don't have any shalva. You don't have any peace. You don't have any real peace. You're not really happy. You're miserable. You want to get a divorce. You want a new wife. You want a new husband. You want new kids. You want new pets. You think that the president's going to save you. You think the president's going to kill you. You still believe in, uh, in all types of shtuyot. You don't have any real happiness in your life. And that, my friend, 
is a direct message from Hashem where He's telling you, why? Because you still didn't listen to the beginning of this Mishnah. You're still not doing my will. You think you're doing my will. But if you were doing my will, you'd be perfectly happy. It's not saying you wouldn't have any problems. Problems happen. It's life. But you'll have such deep connection with Hashem Barach that the world at large will seem perfect to you. Perfect. Everything is fine. Okay, kids sick. Okay, Bezat Hashem, we'll be fine. Okay, I got a flat tire. Okay, Bezat Hashem, the guy is going to fix it. Okay, we don't have any money for, for to pay rent. Okay, Bezat Hashem, we'll get there in time. But we don't have any money yet. Okay, when Hashem is ready to send us, okay, send it to us. I don't know what to cook today. Okay, so we'll eat when you're ready. All of a sudden, life's problems become meaningless. I have all these different people, they call this, that, everybody's miserable, everybody's unhappy, everybody's this. And say, okay, is there a special zgula? Is there a special blessing, special tilim I could do for happiness? A special tilim I could do for shlom bayit? special tilim I could do for... All the, yeah, special tilim is do on Hashem. Stop praying with kavanah. Start acting like a human being. Start fulfilling the mitzvot with some cheshek. Start doing what Hashem said. Everything's going to work out. I'm not saying, and the Torah is not saying, that you're not going to have obstacles in your life. You can have obstacles. But why do you get obstacles? In order for you to know where you stand in life, you have to test yourself. Now if I tell you, listen, hold those keys or hold the phone, or throw the phone, but hold the phone before you throw it. I don't really know how strong your grip is on the phone or the keys until I try to take it away from you. Meaning, the only, and you don't even know how strong your grip is in comparison to how strong it, you, know, you want it to be until somebody tries to take it away from you. In order for us to know where we stand... What level we are as far as Ritzon Hashem, the will of Hashem, fulfilling His will. What level we are as far as really believing that Hashem runs the world. What level we are as far as our Emunah. What level we are in regards to our level of Yir'ah. Hashem has to test us. So He's not testing us purely to torture us. He's testing us to show us where we really stand. If He wants you to start learning Allahot Shabbat, he's not, you're not Moshe Rabbeinu, he's going to come to you in a um, burning bush, say, hey, Amos, start learning Allahot Shabbat. No, he's not going to do that. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Shabbat comes, by accident, you turn on the hot water. And you don't remember whether you're allowed to shut off the hot water or not, so you shut it off. Then you find out, after Shabbat, oh, not allowed to shut off the hot water. If the hot water, you turn on the hot water, leave him on until Shabbat is over. Because considered bishul. Even if the water eventually runs out, the hot water runs out, and it turns into, uh, into a uh, cold water, you're still not allowed to wash it, you're still not allowed to shut it off, because by shutting it off, you're going to uh, have new water come in to, uh, to the... Uh, boiler, and they're going to be heated as a result, and whatever water is in the pipe is going to be heated, in essence, it's still be shul. You're still not allowed to do it. 
So now you didn't know this. Now you found out. You found he just violated Shabbat. What's the tshuva for it? Start learning Allah Shabbat. So Hashem is going to make you sin in order for you to do something. Somebody that Hashem is given a pleasant life, his wife loves him, his kids love him, he's known to the community as a very calm, demeaning, you know, demeanor person, very calm, very collected, always tells everybody, have emunah, always tells everybody, everything's going to be okay, always tells everybody the stories of Nachumish Gamzu, Gamzu Tova. always tells people the Gemara and Masechet Brachot, Everything that a merciful one does is always for the best. But then one day, he's got a big deal. A big deal, and the work's going to make his year. He works for a big company, or he has his own company, and this one deal is going to make his year. But he knows that this other company has a crazy boss that he knows that if he's late one minute, the guy could just, you know, Go away and disconnect from them and cancel out the deal. And all of a sudden, he, well, he's ready to go to work. He woke up extra early. And he's ready to leave. And all of a sudden, one of his kids falls or one of his kids starts to cry or his wife asks him for a favor to change a diaper or some, you know, his mom calls him and needs five minutes of his time. Something happened. Needs his time. And he can't take it. His brain's about to pop. He's about to lose his mind where everybody knows him to have this calm demeanor. All of a sudden, he's about to lose his cool. Now, why did Hashem give him such a test? I mean, Hashem knows that he needs this panasah. Hashem knows that he needs this contract. Hashem knows that he needs to be on time. Hashem knows that he tried to wake up earlier. Hashem knows that, you know, the world has to run even without him. He needs to do this. Why is Hashem making all these problems for him before this deal? To show him that words don't cost anything so you can say whatever you want. The only thing that means something, the only thing that's of any value, is what you actually do. You could tell people about emunah, you could tell people about yirah, you could tell people about everything. How are you going to act when you are being tested, my friend? When you are about to lose your mind, are you going to lose it? Or are you going to say, ah, wait a minute. Everything that the merciful one does is always for the best. Even if I lose this contract, that's for the best too. Or you're going to lose your mind on this three-year-old boy that you have, and he's going to be traumatized for the rest of his life because he fell. And he got in the way of his dad's appointment. And he's going to be traumatized for the rest of his life. Or your wife is never going to want to talk to you again because you yelled at her just because you wanted help for you to change a diaper. Or your mom is never going to call you again because she doesn't think that you love her because you didn't want to talk to her for five minutes because she needed you for something that to you is meaningless. You lost your mind. Hashem gave you that test, my friend, because He says, listen, you can say everything you want, but how are you going to stand up when a test comes to you? So now, Chazal is telling us here that we have to understand that Hashem has to test us. 
and he has to test us mainly because he has to report to us where we stand because we always view ourselves much better than what we really are. Most people think they're better looking than what they really are. Most people think that they're much smarter than what they really are. Most people have a completely distorted reality. And Hashem is reality. So he's telling you, hey, listen, you say this, you say this, you say this. Okay, let's see how you really are. And if I'm giving you the test, it's not because I'm punishing you all the time. I'm giving you the test to tell you, listen, you need a little bit more emunah. So I gave you an emunah test. I'm giving you a test because you need to work on your shlombai. You start, need to start paying attention to your wife. You need to start paying attention to your kids. You need to start being honest. I'm going to give you all these t- different types of tests. Not to torture you, to build you. To make you into Avraham Avinu. To make you into something that you can really be. Because if I don't test you, you're never going to get this to be anything. You're going to stay exactly where you are. To give you a last Gemara of how different our thoughts are from Hashem's thoughts. And with Hashem, we'll try to connect it somehow. I always tell you guys that in order to do the will of Hashem, you have to work on your midot, you have to work on your prayer, you have to work on your character traits, you have to do a lot of work in so many words. A lot of work. There's no such thing as a righteous person that never sins, but yes, there's a benefit to it. So now, it says, Igmara, Brachot, page 29, is a Mishnah on 28 that they are elaborating on. Rabbi Eliezer says, He who makes his prayer fixed. Anyone who makes his prayer serious and it's not doesn't act like it's a burden on him. Like I can't wait till Amidah is over. I can't wait till we finish Shkiachma. I can't wait to take these tefillin off. Like what not one of those people. Opposite. Anyone that makes his tefillah like it's not a burden on him is what they're talking about. Rabbanan Amre, the rabbis say, Kol Omra Bilshon Tachnunim, anyone who does not recite his prayer in a supplicatory manner. So there's several different, several different uh, 
things that they're trying to explain about the value of your prayer. So, so a person needs to understand that if you're going to have full kavanah, you can have treat prayer like it's supposed to. One of the things you're going to realize during this prayer is that even if you're upset at Am Yisrael, you should pray for them first, before you. Pray for them first. Because you know, that's Ritzon Hashem. That's the will of Hashem. For you to pray for the nation before you. Even at a time you become filled with anger against them like a pregnant woman, may all their needs be before you. Says first and foremost, you need to understand that in order for your prayer to be considered valuable at all in Shemaim, pray for Am Yisrael, not just for yourself. Don't be selfish. This is the value of Avat Hashem. Avat Israel, Avat Hashem. In order to have Avat Hashem, you have to have Avat Israel. The Bible said, uh, you have to pray like at least an hour a week just for all the Jews. You add it to your you could do it separate. Even, Rabbi Chista, Rav Chista says, even, Afilu Hashem, al Torah, even at a time where they transgress the words of Torah, May all their needs be before you. Meaning all those people you know, Achilonim, they're secular. Pray for them to do tshuva. Even though they're secular and they're not doing the will of Hashem, don't pray for them to die. Don't pray for them to get punished. Pray for them to do tshuva. Pray for them to have emit. But then it says, okay. Now, what is the point of all of this prayer? What's the, really, the uh, one main thing that they keep mentioning here? It says, if somebody is traveling in a dangerous place, somebody is traveling in a dangerous place, he can pray a short prayer. It's a short prayer, so he doesn't put himself in danger. And even in this short prayer, make sure you include the prayer of Am Yisrael before yourself. So what is in this short prayer? Rabbi Eliezer says, Do your will in heaven above, and grant peace of mind to those that fear you below. And what is good in your eyes do to them. Blessed are you Hashem who hears pray. Prayer. Now the halacha goes with Rav Huna, which has a slightly different a uh, 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 words, but in essence, there's something extraordinary that you learn from Abi Eliezer here. Abi Eliezer is mentioning something here. He's saying, Hashem, do your will, what you need to do, but grant peace to those that fear you. He's saying here, he's not saying grant peace to those that love you. He doesn't say grant peace to those that believe in you. He doesn't say grant peace to those that know who you are. 
He doesn't say grant peace to those that heard about you. Hashem, I know we're not really fulfilling your will. There's a commentary here saying, Hashem, I know the, we're not fulfilling your will. I know there's a lot of sinners. I know there's a lot of people didn't do tshuva yet. I know a few abanim are liars and cheaters. I know, I know. We're not lying to ourselves. That's why in Tachanun, Vidui, Chatanu, Avinu, Pashanu, we do every day. Because we know we made sins. We're not coming to Hashem like we're pretending with Sadiqim. Rabbi Eliezer says, I know, I know we're not Sadiqim, I know. But there are some people that have Yirat Shamayim. At least them, give them peace. It's so hard to have Yirat Shamayim, and so important. So Rabbi Eliezer is telling you here, the value of Yirat Shamayim, that's your prayer. If your prayer is in a hurry, you don't have Yirat Shamayim. If your prayer is not focused, you don't have Yirat Shamayim. If your prayer is not on time, you don't have Yirat Shamayim. If there's something not kosher with your prayer, you don't have Yirat Shamayim. And Rabbi Eliezer says there can't be peace on you because you're not doing the will of Hashem. And the Gemara before it says, it gives us the source of Psalm 72.5 of why we pray, why the two most important prayers, why their time is where it is. In the morning, it's right after the sun rises when the sun is still red, which is nets, right? When the sun is still red, it's rising. And Mincha, which is the highest level of prayer, even though it's much shorter than, uh, than Shachrit, uh, um, it's the top level prayer of the day. And the ideal time to pray is right as the sun is going down and it's becoming red. So the Gemara asks, why, why those times? Why are you mentioning, why is David Melech mentioning that when the sun is red is the time to pray? And Chazal explains something that will help you get Yirat Shemayim. In the Gemara Masechet Baba Batra, page 84a, he says that when the sun appears red in the morning, it's because it's passing the roses of Gan Eden. The roses of Gan Eden are so beautiful and so wonderful, it's reflecting, the colors reflecting on the sun. So when someone is praying at dawn, he's going to recall the promise of Gan Eden. And he's going to have Yirat Shamayim that, hey, listen, I want to get into this place. I want to get into Gan Eden. That means I have to have Kavanah when I pray. That means that the rest of my day after I pray, <coughs> I have to constantly consider Ritzon Hashem. I have to constantly consider the will of Hashem. I have to constantly consider Kvod Hashem. The honor of Hashem. I have to constantly look for ways for Kiddush Hashem. Why? Because I want to get into what the sun is reminding me of. Gan Eden. But what is the sun being read right before Mincha? Represent? The same Gemara says, when the sun is about to set, it's passing right next to Gehenom. 
And the fire of Gehenom is reflecting on the sun also red. So when someone thinks and prays right before dark, he has to recall the threat of Gehenom. And he has to start doing chuvan, whatever he didn't do or did do. That wasn't Ritzon Hashem, that wasn't Kavod Hashem, that wasn't Kiddush Hashem during that day. Already started doing chuvan during your Mincha, don't wait till tomorrow. Because the sun is reminding you, my friend, Gehenom is not just a fairy tale. We have our times of when we learn for a reason. We have our times of when we pray for a reason. It's a small taste that the Gemara tells us of why these prayers are specifically at those times is to remind us of what Rabbi Eliezer is trying to teach us here. If you don't have Yerat Shamaim, you're not going to have good prayer. If you're not going to have good prayer, you're not going to do it on Hashem. You're not really praying for Hashem. You're not praying to Hashem. You're not doing it on Hashem. Your life is going to become a mess. Your friends are going to become losers. Your surrounding is going to be a bunch of losses. You're going to go off, 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 and eventually become avud Hashem Lost. All starts with your prayer. It continues to your Torah. But ultimately, it's your mindset of what your goal in life is. If your goal in life is to fulfill the will of Hashem, the rest of the Mishnah will apply to you and you succeed. And Be'ezat Hashem, all of us succeed to get higher and higher, closer and closer to Hashem Itbarach, fulfill His will as He wants His will to be fulfilled. And may His will become our will. Amen.